Welcome to From Cork with Love Adventure, the only programme from Cork, Ireland, in which you can hear what it's like to be Irish in Cork from the point of view of a totally unrepresentative man. This is Paul Amani welcoming you to the latest episode. This is the last part of Chapter 8 of A History of Walking, or more properly, Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit. And I'm walking at the equestrian centre with my dog. The fields are green and the weather forecast is for it to be dry, but there's a strong breeze blowing. So we're continuing to talk about a woman called Fiona, maybe it's pronounced Fiona, F-F-Y-O-N-A, Fiona Campbell, who wrote a book called The Whole Story, A Walk Around the World. And although it wasn't literally a walk around the world, she walked an enormous distance, 16,000 miles. And Rebecca Solnit continues about her. To some extent, Campbell resembled the walkathon walkers, in that she is often walking to raise money for a cause, or more often looking for a cause to represent so that she can raise money for her expedition, which with support staff, publicity and so forth, were often expensive. Still, to walk 50 miles in a day is remarkable. To get up and do it again the next day is stunning. And to do it day after day across the Australian outback, alongside a road in ugly weather, is brutal. Campbell did it, walking 33,200 miles across the continent in 95 days, a world record. Her legs are indefatigably strong and relentless in their pursuit. But nothing is left in her walks but accomplishment. No scenery, no pleasure, few encounters. For 20,000 miles she is struggling to understand herself well enough to outwalk her suffering. But she is alarmingly unclear about her values, seeking corporate sponsorship and media attention at some points, and condemning journalists and capitalists at others, insulting people who drive cars on her second walk in the United States after having been trailed across the country by a motorhome driven by her support staff the first time. Her book ends with an anecdote that undermines all her effort, one of many passages of fuzzy reverence for indigenous people. It is a tale of the military men who challenged some original, some Aboriginal Australians to a foot race across the desert, which the latter abandoned to track down Honeycomb. Telling it, she suggests she is on the side of the Aborigines in disdaining rigid goals, quantifiable experience, competition, even record-keeping or making as deeply flawed ways of being in the world. The tragedy is that all along she has been on the side of the military men. Perhaps Campbell shows us pure walking. 
It is impurity that makes us worthwhile, the views, the thoughts, the encounters, all those things that connect mind and world through the medium of the roving body, that leaven the self-absorption of the mind. Those books suggest how slippery a subject is walking, how hard it is to keep one's mind on it. Walking is usually about something else, about the walker's character or encounters, about nature or about achievement, something so much so it ceases to be, uh, sometimes so much so it ceases to be about walking. Yet, together all these things, the canons of walking essays and travel literature constitute a coherent, if meandering, 200-year-old history of reasons to walk across the land. End of chapter 8, page 132. Now, where did that dog go? Where did that dog go? Did he go right or did he go left? There he is. Oh, okay. We now walk across the field here. There's been an accident here. The metal gate post, which I'm assuming was rotten, yes, has come out of, has broken off. And the metal gate is down on the track. I'm talking about a really three meter long metal gaze and uh, over a meter high heavy my goodness pretty sure that wasn't like that last night I wonder if they all know about that I'll have to tell them about it I'm used to meeting people not things that are broken I think it's uh, time now after chapter 8 to share with you some some conversations I've, I've had with some readers and some comments I've had from readers. I value every comment as if it were a little sack of gold dust. It's such a pleasure to walk and to read at the same time and to share at the same time but it's thrilling to receive somebody else's views of, about what you're reading and about what you're doing. And I'm very grateful to each and every one of these people. Hi, Paul. I'm just noticing you've read a book. Are you reading a book? I was gone, I guess, when this all began, or I had just come home, or I don't know. I was in a freaking fog, I'll call it. But I'm going to start listening, and I've got to catch up with Robert. And then I have one that I want to... I'm not going to read it fully, but I'm going to... I've been picking stuff out of it for like a year and a half from a, a book that I had picked up in an art class that I was substituting in, and... I looked at it while I was at the class, and, and then I ended up ordering the book, so I 
don't read it fully through. I just pick and choose what I want to see. <laughs> oh my God, I'm just a terrible reader sometimes. But I'm going to listen to your wanderlust. Thank you for reading it. I'll, I'll comment soon. I'm just in the middle of your reading of the first chapter, I think. Now, I'm not going to say much else about Solnit, but Solnit did a lot of interesting books. You'll have to look her up. Something I read recently, I can't remember about Men Tell Me Everything or something. <laughs> I'll have to read, get the right, right title. But anyway, I love your energy. I love your energy. And while you're walking and reading and how excited you are about being out in nature reading, that's lovely. This is wonderful. I can hardly wait to listen more. Onward. Wow, I had to go way back. It was during my trip when I was in Vancouver you started reading this. I was like, oh my god, I've missed so much. I'm going back looking for Wanderlust everywhere. <laughs> I think I finally found the beginning, so I'll start here now. I've read, I've listened to bits and pieces of them. <laughs> anyway, I need to tell you, Solnit is one of these great authors, so I think you should look her up, but she's well known, and uh, at least in my circles uh, here, library, library folk love her. Uh, my friend, colleague, Mary, she keeps telling me, Robin, you're just like Rebecca. You need to you need to read Rebecca more. You you just really are like her. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but now I'm gonna read her more. <laughs> oh gosh. This is funny. Synchron Robin, I'm I'm just listening to you saying that you know Rebecca Solnit or know of her and uh, that people know her in, in California. Well, it was a uh, such a surprise find. Never heard of the woman before, as I'm sure I mentioned on the reading. So, uh, and I daren't go and look at the other books that she's written because I'm afraid that it will def deflect my attention from reading this one. And this one is 300 pages long or more. And at the rate at which I'm reading it, it's going to be, you know, the end of the year by the time I get it all read and I'm not certain that I will keep reading all of it but as long as I'm gripped I'll read so definitely that this is I'm really pleased you've heard of her I keep thinking it uh, the pronunciation that it, it is a wanderlust and it is wanderlust and I must kind of Paul this is Robin I'm in the middle of listening to your chapter three of Rebecca Solnit's wanderlust wanderlust and I'm enjoying this book so much and I was just thinking as I was listening to you yeah I just finished hearing the part about her walking in the big wild open of Joshua and her partner rock climbing and I thought if Paul could read all of Solnit's books to me I'd be so happy <laughs> you reading I love it and her books are pretty amazing, aren't they? I'm glad you're reading this aloud. Thank you so much. I actually believe in the universe and that you reading the way you read and using those words, the knotting and unknotting and 
all of the way you have been doing your asides in between this reading is a universal spirituality. You know, it is about spirit that you you don't know who's who you're going to be touching with those words. And you've touched me today. And I am a visual artist. And when you speak and talk about talk in your way, I visualize a lot of what you say. So I find it very fascinating and appreciate, appreciate it a lot, Paul. So thank you for continuing on with your grand spirit. Hey, Paul, I really enjoyed that chapter. That was great. It, it, it reminded me of my own personal pilgrimages, a couple of them anyway, and yeah, this was insightful, very insightful in the way you read it. I just loved hearing all the different interruptions and the gates and the walking and the blueberries and the, the man talking to you. And it was just, what a rich, rich chapter. Chapter four onward. I'm going to read or listen to the next chapter now still in my early morning, Sunday morning, so I have had my coffee and my English muffin. <laughs> I have my kitties snuggling, so thank you. Thank you for your reading this book aloud. I want to say a huge thank you to Robin Milne. A huge thank you for not just re-listening to wanderlust, but for talking to me about it. Robin doesn't know how important it is to me or how much it matters to me to hear from her about it, to hear her thoughts, hear her appreciation, anything at all that she, that, that, that she says that communicates the attention she's given it. That, that is such a wonderful experience to turn on the audio and hear Robin talking about this reading of this book, which has kind of uh, come to be the most uh, coherent part of my podcast for some time now. And there's a long way to go yet. So let me just stop there because it's, uh, it's just lovely to be able to share the, the bits of conversation we've had between us about it. And uh, Robin, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for... Um, for being, uh, being on the on the walk, on the walk, walking with you is great. Paul, that stretch of path in time that runs between last Friday and today, Tuesday, going into Wednesday, is thickly overgrown 
with dense branches and foliage of audio that I am slowly making my way through and I've reached that point on the path that we call July 16th and have just heard you read some more from Wanderlust, the history of walking, and you've mentioned that you are strongly motivated to continue reading. And without saying anything about what I've heard so far, I just wanted to let you know that I'm strongly motivated to continue listening. I've been thinking, Paul, about your reading of Wanderlust, and I've in particular just listened to you finish reading the chapter where Rebecca Solnit is writing about Kierkegaard and his walking. And it occurred to me that as a piece of audio, there's something very interesting in this Kierkegaard has, has no idea about what Rebecca Solnit has done with his walking and thinking. He can't possibly know it. Rebecca Solnit brings Kierkegaard forward into your hands and then... And then you bring forward Rebecca Solnit. Now, it's not impossible that she knows you're doing it. I suspect it's unlikely, but not impossible. But Rebecca Solnit doesn't know how you are bringing us her Kierkegaard and her writing about walking and thinking and Kierkegaard. And then, because it's Anchor, you can see who's listening. So you know that I'm listening. And you might imagine, from what you know of me, how I might be responding to some pieces of the audio, to Kierkegaard and to Rebecca Solnit. And you'll know who else is listening and imagining their responses as well. Now, what was I going to say? Yes, so you can see who's listening. And you're also changing Rebecca Solnit in terms of, you know, how you read, what you emphasize, what passages you choose to repeat, and that you tell us you're impressed by your asides. So again, it's changed. So it's not just Kierkegaard and Rebecca Solnit, but we're also hearing... Paulo Mani, and you've succeeded by walking as you read, and I heard you encounter, encounter an acquaintance at the end there, to turn this into a very living adventure in reading. Very interesting, very interesting. Robert, thank you very much. It uh, was great to hear um, to hear your voice this morning, and I have um, put.
put what you have to say into my episode from today. Um, I'm a, I really uh, love what you have to say and the you know, intriguing way in which you put it. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. There are layers on layers on layers and yeah, there are layers on layers on layers. Paul, it's a pleasure to get back to listening to your reading of Rebecca Solnit's Wanderlust. I've just listened to the end of chapter five. You're aside by the waters where the fish jump occasionally, infrequently, was as refreshing for me as I'm sure it was for Louis. I'm looking forward and can see that there's more there to be heard. Thanks, Paul. Robert, hello. I'm looking for a piece of advice. I've been wondering what to do with wanderlust as time moves on and I think about putting it all together in one place. At the moment, you know, it's scattered throughout Anchor and scattered throughout my my podcast. Um, so I was kind of wondering if, you know, I should put it all on SoundCloud, um, if I should put all the episodes together into one long podcast episode, although that seems way, way too long. Uh, you know, how I could, assuming that there might be some people at some stage in the future interested in listening to that and that alone. If, as is unlikely, sometime in the future you wanted to listen to the whole of Wanderlust, where would you like to find it? I suppose that's the key question. It's, you know, people have all sorts of preferences about what they use for things, but I know you're interested, so I could be very influenced by your view, and I'd be grateful for it. There's no urgency about this, I'm not actually itching to put it all in one place, you know, this week, this month, but sometime I'd like to do it. Good morning, your afternoon, Paul. I I heard your messages just last night, your question about where I would like to find one wanderlust, um, and I'm thinking about it. I just wanted to drop you a note and let you know that I'm I'm thinking about it. Paul, the only place that I would ever come to to listen to Wanderlust, your reading of Wanderlust is here on, on Anchor. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't even know where to find the, the podcasts that are created from Anchor. Um, 
I'm only here on Anchor and for social audio. As you know, I'm over on Lemur and that's it. So uh, I'm not sure you might want to also get the opinion of someone who listens to many and participates on many platforms. Uh, but Georgie D put the collector into one uh, episode with many segments. And uh, I think if I wanted to come back and listen to it in particular, I think that's what I would look for. It's one long episode. Now I'm supposing that one long episode, uh, if that would then were then pushed out to a podcast, there would be no segments to break it up, so it would be an extremely long podcast. So I don't know if it w- would work as as one podcast. It, I think it works on Anchor because of the segments. But do segments survive the transition to a podcast, or does everything just play continuously? If so, a podcast of that length with no way of breaking it up, I suppose, would be problematic. But if there were just some some way to create that, to reproduce that segmented effect that you have access to in Anchor, that would work. And just a footnote on that suggestion. I actually have enjoyed the difficulty of finding the bits of Wanderlust. It's kind of like walking through a forest and turning a corner, listening to other things and then stumbling over another chapter or another part of a chapter from Wanderlust. Like walking through audio garden with S-bends and false alleyways and hidden alcoves. Now, as you were speaking, the first thing that came to my imagination was an image of you walking as you suggested with Rebecca Solnit in your I assume your right hand and your your civilized drink of wine in the left and because it's a civilized wine I imagined that it must be in a goblet with a stem and I would think it would be advantageous to have a very large goblet so that you could pour a normal glass of wine into the bottom and it could slosh about in there without actually spilling out. And uh, in fact, that way it would become very well aerated after a very short period of time on the trail. The sun is getting in my eyes. But the image of you walking along with Rebecca Solnit in one hand and a goblet of wine in the other in the fresh air seemed a comical image to me and so it put me in mind of of Parson Adams and uh, his his walking about with Aeschylus 
And I wonder, did, did Rebecca Solnit write about fielding and all of the walking involved with in Joseph Andrews and in Tom Jones as well? Tom Jones embarked on a very long walking journey through the novel. And of course, Parson, Ad- Pars- Parson Adams, whose Aeschylus eventually landed in the fire. But what I would imagine instead, if you wanted to avoid a satiric imagining of your your trekking with Rebecca Solnit, would be perhaps a wine flask, a good quality, I imagine, a leather, uh, well-lined wine flask with exactly the sort of wine contained in it that you described would avoid the awkwardness of walking about with a goblet would free your hands if the flask were also placed on your hip on a belt free your hands to turn the pages yes I think the proper image is of a man with a book and a flask I, by the way, have got as far as Jane Austen. I thought she might go into more detail about the walking that happens in Pride and Prejudice. For example, Elizabeth's tour of the Derbyshire, the Highlands in Derbyshire, after the disappointment of her aunt and uncle not being able to take the time to go to the Lakes District. And then, of course, my favorite walk, her walk with Lady Catherine de Bourgh in the little wilderness at Longbourn, where she was famously, what's the famous quote, chided by Lady Catherine for being a headstrong, oh, I'm missing a word, headstrong something girl, I'm ashamed of you, she says. (laughs) That was my favorite walk in the book. Robert, I've just returned from the outside. An unrecorded walk, or a walk unrecorded digitally. And uh, Louis just retired to a new bed. Yeah, he got a new bed today. Anyway, back to Jane Austen. I agree with you that, well, my stance would be that the, I want a whole book about Jane Austen from Rebecca Solnit. <laughs> and, uh, but then again, no, I, I couldn't have too much um, commentary on Jane Austen for my taste. She's utterly delightful. I think I could spend the whole winter listening to good writing about Jane Austen. So far, Robert, there has been um, no fielding. Um, So I don't want to go in for spoilers here. But no, we uh, hopefully... I have to say I haven't read Tom Jones. And so there's lots for me to learn. Um, Yes. 
there's lots to learn. Um, I've got to reach chapter 9, um, which is all about mountaineering. Um, so this, I, I'm well ahead of you at least, and I, but I have several pieces I must put up. And, uh, As for drinking wine while reading and walking, and on the issue of the best container, it had never crossed my mind that there was such a thing as a wine flask. It just didn't cross my mind. Now that I think about it, uh, well, uh, now that you have thought about it, um, the idea of striding along with uh, wine in a leather pouch, or what what are they called? Yeah, the flask, but I don't mean a metal one. I mean a, a leather one. Seems terrific to me, slung over my shoulder, you know, in the way one would, similar to having a whiskey flask in the back pocket. It's, it's unremarkable, normal, and pretty usual to take a hip flask of whiskey while beating uh, on, on a Scottish moor, while walking in Scotland, or indeed while walking even in Wales, but less so in England, but certainly walking in the Highlands with drams of whiskey is uh, it would be perfectly normal for for people to, to carry hip flasks. Taking wine out, now that's a different matter. And I just love that idea of taking wine out on a walk. Yes, that will be done. I'm extraordinarily fortunate to have Robert Neal in Canada talking with me about Rebecca Solnit's book. Robert brings so much into the conversation into the conversations that go on in my head as well. And I, I'm just very grateful, Robert. Uh, thank you very much. It's a delight to pull them all together in one place. So I'm walking after watching the one of the quarterfinal matches of the U.S. Open, which went nearly five hours, which was pretty exciting. So I had to get up and stretch my legs. And I'm just about to start listening to the 
well, second, not the second half, but the remainder of the first part of chapter five of Wanderlust, which is getting more exceptional as we get further along. And I don't know if because I'm walking while listening to it and I've only been walking as I've listened. I can't be stationary and listen to you read because it feels like cheating in a way. So even though I go for a walk almost every other day in between running, I can't sit and listen to this book. I have to be moving with it as you are moving while reading it. And so it becomes this mobile meditation. And it's entrancing. So each time I go out, I've been looking forward to hearing about, as you do, where we're going and what we'll learn. Because it's kind of mysterious, like the more, especially this, this idea of pilgrimage, where you don't know maybe why you're doing it, in a sense, even just going for a regular walk. But you know it's good for you in some way. That's what's always in the back of my head. The times that I don't want to go out for a walk, I'll know that decades from now that I can't make up the walking, just like you can't make up sleeping. So that's what gets me up and out. Andrew, it's really good to very good, delightful to hear you talking about your experience of wanderlust and how you listen to it. And I've now become incapable of reading it at any time other than when I'm walking. I will not, I, it would feel completely wrong to be reading wanderlust without walking along and that's crept up on me behind my back and I'm also struck by you saying that something like that it's getting almost like better and better or something like that the exact phrase I can't remember that's very encouraging now, Andrew, our Torical, we, uh, Andrew and I met first, I hope I don't make a mistake about this, is, but I think we first met on Periscope, perhaps we met before Periscope, and um, we spent many, many, many hours in each other's company, and 
it's and I I get nothing but huge satisfaction being with Andrew and to have him also coming on the walk with Rebecca Solnit and uh, Louis and Moan Bond Wood and it's uh, it's terrific. So I'll stop at this point now with huge thanks to again to Robin Milne to Robert Neal and to Andrew and I will um, carry on with uh, chapter 9 which is uh, coming next <laughs>